Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Shot Podcast. Uh, this week, um, we're joined by Grace and a very cute-looking little puppy, I think, that she has in her <laughs> arms. Welcome, it's Grace. It's a cat. It's a cat. For, oh, it's a cat. cat. Oh, my God. I need to get new prescriptions <laughs> my glasses, clearly. Oh, it's a big cat, though. Like, it's a massively huge cat. So that's why um, one was confused. Grace is actually joining us, my God, um, from her home in Hobart. Who would have guessed? G'day. Uh, and also with us from Nam, Melbourne, is Dave Milner, editor of The Shot. Hello, Dave. G'day, Joe. G'day, Grace. Charles is not G'day. with us. He's off being high-powered shooting a pilot for his new TV show, which is pretty exciting. Um, that he will be unleashed again, potentially, on our screen sometime in the near future. We shall look forward to that. But in the meantime, further things to discuss. Uh, Dave, you wrote, I think, a piercing, poignant piece um, for the shot last week uh, on The Voice. Um, And indeed, the issues in our educational system that may be leading to some of the confusion Um, about the shot, if not the misinformation about it. About the shot or about the voice? (laughs) About the voice. I think the shot has its own issues, but um, (laughs) probably they're not referenced that much in our education system. Not yet anyway. All three of the issues for the shot are sitting right here talking to you today. (laughs) (laughs) One of them is shooting a pilot, I think. Let's be fair. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess I I did write that piece. and um... It seemed to resonate, I have to say. I think people were really pleased to hear all of it articulate, uh, articulated in, as you say, um, some of the kind of the fuzziness um, that exists around the cognitive dissonance, I think was the term that you used in relation to being a white man in this country seeking to um, have some kind of justice, if not reparations, for our First Nations brothers and sisters. Yeah, and it was like it was very much just my own perspective. I feel like I can't really speak on anyone else's perspective on this one. So, you know, that that's why I took that approach. And I just realized I really was, you know, despite knowing better, factually I was carrying these two versions of history around in my head. And, you know, I know I obviously know all the facts, but I also realized that when you know studying like what happened in you know, North America, South America, Latin America, basically the entire world. I had a clearer version of the violence for what was happening over there. I understood the brutal horror of colonization. It was here. I still had this fuzzy notion that it's the, it was a bit better here, that it was Australian, that it was friendlier, that it was cricket and barbecues. And, you know, this version of events while also having studied in detail the massacre map of Aboriginal, you know, frontier violence and just trying to reconcile what that was. And then I thought about the ways in which I was educated as a younger person, uh, not just at school, you know, through popular culture in the media and whatnot, and and just writing about, you know, that experience, this very Eurocentric narrative foundation myth that we are taught, 
And and that was the part that seemed to resonate with a lot of people. I had a lot of people on Twitter saying, I'm 80, I'm 60, I'm 50, I'm 40. And I, I learned this and I got to a point in my life when I was, you know, defensive about my whiteness. And instead, I just decided to learn this. And now I feel much better personally because, you know, that's not what this is about. This is some. This is a trap that stupid, angry people fall into and thinking that, you know, they can't actually just own this and be okay. Um, and, yeah, it, it was really interesting. It was actually – it's one of those topics that I feel like not enough people here talk about that it feels a bit fuzzy. You're not really sure until you hear someone else say, yes, this is what it was like for me too. This is what that feels like. So, yeah, it was really interesting to see that reaction on Twitter. A lot of, like – a lot of crazy people telling me that I am a self-hating beta cock yeah, that doesn't like my that. own tribe as well. <laughs> that was fun. So you're both younger than me. Um, when you were growing up, so Grace, you're the youngest here. Uh, it has really only been, I would say, in the last sort of 15 years in particular that those massacre maps with the level of detail that we now see and know are and are learning about were being formed through academia and um, the University of Newcastle, Lyndall Ryan was doing a lot of work in that area and really going through and documenting the oral histories about what happened and where it happened and the extent of the massacres and the violence um, and the kind of cavalier way that Aboriginal people in particular were being dehumanised. Um, did you learn about that at school or was that something that you had to educate yourself about as you kind of became an adult? I didn't learn about it uh, in in school so blatantly. Um, the, I mean the term the term quite literally would be whitewashed. Yeah. I think um, so, I mean, certainly in primary school. So I went to a – the first three years of my education, kinder – um, prep and grade one I was at a little, little um, I guess you would call it like a Steiner school um, in uh, in Hobart or just just on the eastern shore of Hobart and there was actually quite a heavy focus on Aboriginal culture um, and I remember learning about dream time I, I remember when we went on excursions um, what was incorporated in the teachings even even then um, when we went uh, you know to, to certain locations, we would learn um, about um, Aboriginal culture, um, which was really quite interesting when I when I look back on that time because I can remember things even in um, you know even in grade one and prep. Um, and we went to you know Arana Camp, which is down near a place called Brocious Beach, which is actually near where I grew up. So the beach over from Brocious Beach, where I, I I go run I I go running quite regularly across Roaches Beach and into Seven Mile Beach, which is where I grew up. My father still lives there. Um, and learning about Aboriginal culture um, then, but certainly not at that age where we uh, introduced, for probably good reason, uh, into the darker side of history. And in high school there was some talk of it. However, I learned a very honest history through both of my parents who, although separated when I was two years old, um, very similar in terms of their um, philosophies. Um, uh, neither, neither of them are very ideological people, um, but they're very open-minded people. They're both um, avid readers um, and they pass that down to me um, and they're, uh, they're both um, open to sort of talking about any kind of um, uh, sort of um, 
yeah, like I said, sort of honest history. I mean, I was listening to Archie Roach when I was like just walking. Um, Charcoal Lane was was an album that my dad would always play, and so you know, I was I was listening to took the children took the children away. I was learning about the Stolen Generation um, through music first, um, and then the, through the conversations that 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 came from that, and so through that. You know, learning about that and and from listening I think to Paul Kelly. From listening to this Paul is Kelly. so true for so many Australians that artists in popular culture have filled yeah. in the gaps that our education system has lacked. I feel like, you know, Midnight Oil explained this to a lot of people. Yothu Yindi, mm, yeah, etc. And so, so, so it was through through the. The, the the real the real teachers who sh- who should have been teaching us actually um, and perhaps not the I mean I didn't have a single Aboriginal teacher in school um, so there's there's that as well so arguably I don't know if I would have wanted to to, to hear those lessons from anybody else other than an, an Aboriginal themselves and so um, the list the lessons can definitely be improved though I remember it was very much we were made aware of Aboriginal culture. And we talked about dream time myths and we talked about, you know, didgeridoos and boomerangs. We did those mm. things. But it was all through a sort of a really paternalistic lens. And I remember- Very rose-tinted. The, yeah, very rose-tinted. But it was also, you know, kind of, it was still punching down. It was like, yes, the Europeans bought brews and smallpox and the Indigenous people just couldn't hack booze and smallpox. Kind of, It was a really strange- the, the, this is their fault sort of thing. They didn't. Yeah. They lacked the constitution to handle their piss and their smallpox, which is just a ridiculous framing. Well, yeah, and so, we- so so we were made aware of it at the same time. The the lens that the framework on it is still justifying these little things ever so subtly. It's justifying taking children away, even though it's not actively doing that in the way it's you know, what it's stating by this point, it's that the language and the framing around it is still a little bit, well, they might have needed this. That's the implication. And that was basically my education until, you know, sort of in the the 90s, I guess. It's even, I mean, even the, the kind of the framing of it as, yes, the smallpox came and, my God, those put, they had such weak constitutions that it was rife and um, so on, isn't dealing with the, the fact that, you know, there were violent wars taking place. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's just never mentioned. We yeah, just and it's so about interesting that. talking about artists and and the way that there's this, you know, I, I don't know if you watched um, The Frontier or The Australian Wars about The Frontier Wars, which is Rachel Perkins' really stunning documentary, which is available on SBS On Demand, which I really recommend that you will watch because it goes through in really quite forensic detail it, you know, it chooses particular geographic regions and, and, you know, the strategy that went into the wars on both sides. Um, and she um, discovered for the first time that, you know, her descendants had been caught up in it and her grandmother or great-great-grandmother had been, you know, raped and murdered as part of, not murdered, but raped. She couldn't have been murdered because nobody, anyway, they had been <laughs> caught up very much in in, in the violence. Um, and Stephen Page as well on his uh, Who Do You Think You Are that was just on SBS two weeks ago found out um, that his great-great-great-grandmother was one of the sole survivors of a massacre that took place on um, um, north of Stradbroke Island. Um, so wow. you you've kind of have now our artists and our storytellers uncovering you know, what happened in their own families and bringing a really personal kind of engagement with these, you know, terrible 
origin stories of our nation to us um, in their kind of very eloquent way. So, but it is interesting. And even now, as you say, Dave, you're kind of copying this sort of you're a self-hating white man when all you're doing is articulating what we know now to be completely true and being very honest and vulnerable about the kind of the dissonance and the confusion that that creates for you. I just, I feel like it's, it's more helpful to be, you know, honest at this point. This is a, this is a turning point moment for the nation. Uh, and I feel like bad faith, disingenuous actors are trying to make it more complicated and to confuse it. It's very much just a question of recognizing the truth in our constitution. It is just, it is the factual truth. And I don't think anyone should have a problem with that. And it's also about, you know, do we want to start listening to our indigenous people on matters that concern them? End of. That's basically the question. And all this, I mean, Peter Dutton, I touched on it very briefly. I didn't want to give Peter Dutton too much of my time because I don't think anyone should give Peter Dutton too much of their time. But the whole idea of the the Canberra voice, this, you know, it's like he's trying on catchphrases, seeing which one will stick. It's very, you know, very Trumpian. But it's <laughs> the idea that having an Indigenous lobby with a direct line to Parliament and that being undemocratic, given all the other fuckers that have got direct lines to Parliament, you know, at PWC, for example. I think the difference, Gina though, Reinhardt, and I, look, whoever, I do, I, I take that argument and that the the fundamental truth is is that we have a kind of um, an anti-democratic system which has developed um, through the access that we, as a matter of course, give a lot of the corporate actors and particularly the, the fossil fuel industry, but not exclusively the fossil fuel industry. Um, I think there is, though, a difference here because this is not just giving an open door and indeed a revolving door from within corporate world to the ministerial office and the prime ministerial office, it is about embedding it within the constitution. And, you know, we don't, however we may act, the fossil fuel industry don't have an embedded constitutional right to the access that they've been gifted by our it um, feels political like leaders. It. I know it feels like it, but they don't. They, so there is a difference, but I think the difference is completely... They have it embedded in the earth. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> well, that's true. But I think the real difference is, um, is that, you know, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are our Indigenous peoples. And there is, yeah. it is entirely appropriate that our um, founding document recognises that, as the High Court now has, that their terra nullius does not exist, and yet that isn't reflected in our constitution, and it should be. And so whenever, you know, even Warren Mundine, when he doesn't make much sense, um, but, you know, the thing that he said when he was first embarking on his self-promoting campaign on for the no vote um, was, well, then let's have all of the, um, the various groups that have migrated here recognised in the constitution as well, and then all those groups that have migrated here said, uh, no, thanks, Warren, we're supporting the voice. But again, not recognising that there is a fundamental and important foundational distinction between recognising Indigenous peoples who were here first and all of these other groups um, that Mm. have access already. And also, of course, the reason that we need to embed it in the Constitution, apart from the fact that it's right, is that what we've seen time and time again through history uh, is that if we don't embed it in the Constitution, then for base political reasons, um, as soon as new governments are elected, they will get rid of the voice which has been established. And that's happened with all of the councils, advisory councils, 
um, that have been in, like have been formed and established from you know halt onward. Uh, so if you don't have any kind of consistency and continuity and any guarantees that the voice that an advisory body will continue to exist and will be listened to, um, then you know what's the point? And I think that's what we've seen in Australian contemporary oh, political history. Yeah. So the question then becomes, you know. As a matter of strategy for the yes campaign, what does what does what do we need to do better? Well, you know, I, I was at a, an event, a crikey event last night, um, bless crikey, uh, which was basically um, information and celebration of the demise of Lachlan Murdoch's uh, defamation <laughs> case against them. Um, was that a big night, Joe? Was that a fun party to be at? It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was really interesting to hear just, I mean, everything that we'd sort of known, um, but to hear uh, Will Hayward, the CEO of Private Media, the parent company of Crikey, kind of gave an introduction that just sort of set out, um, you know, event by event what had happened to get us from the point of, you know, Bernard Keane writing something which, as he said, had been written by many others uh, across particularly the US media, but clearly Lachlan, um, who is thin-skinned, as we know, decided to sue a small publishing company in Australia to take advantage of our outrageously um, plaintiff-slanted defamation laws. So he thought that he could kind of make some point using the Australian defamation laws that he could then sort of extrapolate internationally. Um, But, you know, as Will said, like when Crikey decided to take a stand and put the letter in the, the open letter in the New York Times saying, go on then sue us, that he would think that the best response is to actually take up, take them up on that and sue them, um, really demonstrates there is, yeah, there is a dearth of perhaps strategic thinking going on um, in Lachlan's brain. Um, yeah, he's no Logan Roy. No, no, he's like, I don't know which, yeah, anyway, we won't get into um, succession and Murdoch analogies uh, just at the moment. But what Malcolm Turnbull was saying really is that, and he spoke from. Wait, so Malcolm Turnbull was there too? Malcolm Turnbull was I, on the panel. I, I, um, this speak- is so funny. I was up till 2 a.m. playing Diablo 4 with my girlfriend and you're at a fancy event talking about the future of media. This is very professional of you, Joe. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have, um, I'm at fancy professional events every night of the week, Dave, let me assure you. <laughs> but what he was saying and speaking from bitter personal experience is the difficulty of actually passing referenda in this country. Now, we all know that, um, but, you know, it, it was salutary to be reminded of that by someone who had put so much on the line for the, for the uh, Republic uh, referendum back uh, in the day in the what was that the eighties or the nineties? It's all it's all a blur. 90s, I'm sure. Yeah, it's all a blur now. Um, but by having to get the majority of people and the majority of people in the majority of states, that's where it gets difficult. So we have to carry three states um, at least, and then we have to get the majority overall. So, and the yep. ACT and the Northern Territory they only count in the national vote, so getting the kind of absolute majority at a national level of of voters, but then these three states. So, you know, obviously the voice has to carry New South Wales and it has to carry Victoria, otherwise it's doomed. Yeah. Um, And then it it will have to carry one, at least one, of Western Australia, Queensland and Tasmania um, and South Australia. Uh, And, 
you know, it's South Australia, it, it could be the pivotal vote. Tasmania is, is an ageing um, population, um, but it's small. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to. That's why people like, you know, Jackie Lambie and, and Tammy Tyrrell and, and Brian Harrodine back in the day can keep getting elected because they don't have to get, you know, many actual votes. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Tasmania could be tricky. Um, Queensland, I think people are probably writing off. Um, Western Australia, you know, even the retirement of Mark McGowan is being considered as perhaps an event which will make things harder. But who knows? I mean, Gina, I Gina have... Reinhart winning Western Australia oh of the year. You'd have to think that was parody and then it was it was real. It's like, oh, yeah. my God. So I don't, I don't have the stats. I mean, obviously the, um, the trajectory of the opinion polls is not great. Um, you do have to think there needs to be some kind of disruptive event to ensure mm-hmm. that we don't continue on a downward trajectory because otherwise we'd kind of run out of time. But by the time we hit October. The- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The 14th, I think that's the Saturday. That's the date which it's most likely to be. Um, we could have run out of time. So, so who's at the forefront of the yes campaign? Who's who's the loudest, most likely to cut through to the people they need to cut through to to carry this vote? Well, I don't think that it's one single person. I mean, I think what I my I'm kind of pinning my hopes on the fact that there are many people um, working in many different communities. So, in that sense, it is. It's using some of the strategies um, of the community independence, so engaging at a grassroots level. If you go to the Yes23 website, um, you'll see that happening all the time, uh, all of these different events, information sessions, conversations going on in literally, you know, every corner of the country. It is, you know, it, it all of the merchandise um Every, like T-shirts, core flutes, badges, everything has sold out on the site. So Thomas um, Mayo and um, Kerry O'Brien's uh, handbook is sitting at number two on the bestseller list at the moment. I think there is a I real appetite for, well, I've, did I say this last week? I've been, I've been going out and buying multiple copies, so ordering lots, getting them in gradually, and then going around and putting them in all my little libraries around um, the area. So being like the true book ninja. So because people wait, are wait, in- So do you own a multi- lots of little libraries? I, what, what does this mean? You know, the, you know, little libraries that exist around in the suburbs. Do you have them? Oh, the little, the little take a book, leave yeah, a book yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I've been going and putting the handbook in all of the libraries in my general area. Um, I love that. That's cool. It's so that people can then kind of, you know, and they are like um, I've been watching, I go back and like as I was riding past one of them where I put one the, ne- the the day before, I saw someone actually just walking past casually and then do a double take and come back. And I like to think that was because they decided to pick up the voice handbook. Um, Doing good deeds. There is clearly an, an appetite um, for information about it. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, there are, it is, it's well organised in the sense that, um, you know, there's Australians for Constitutional Change, um, which uh, Danny Gilbert from Gilbert and Tobin, Rachel Perkins, um, they're co-chairing. Obviously, the working group through um, Megan Davis um, is is out there. Uh, I know that um, Marcia Langton's going to have a big piece in um, the first edition of Mianjin under Esther Anatolidis' new editorship, which is going through individually and taking apart a lot of the arguments um, that people like Dutton have been um, disingenuously, um, cynically making. Um, so, you know, I think there is a lot happening. Um, I think that the campaign is generally excited about the prospect of it leaving Canberra where it, you know, the debate has all been taking place in um, Canberra at the moment because the referendum enabling legislation had to be passed. Um, and that's where, you know, when Malcolm Turnbull came out yesterday and said, I think also um, wrongly, but that's another whole conversation, that the no campaign hadn't necessarily been lying to date, they'd just been being hyperbolic um, with some of their claims. And then on cue, when I got home from the event and was looking online at the, you know, various news sites, um, the dissenting report from the opposition members into uh, from the parliamentary inquiry into The Voice had been released and they had out and out lied and misrepresented what Justice uh, Hayne and Chief Justice French had said um, when providing their evidence to the inquiry to the extent that they had essentially diametric, they had put diametrically opposed positions and attributed them back to um, French and Hain. So, you know, there is so much bad faith happening in this debate at the moment from that side, from the no side. Can I just, can I just point out, so we've got some really um, wonderful uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices um you know, that are contributing um, a lot of material. So whether it's Nessa Temple Roberts or Teela Reid, um, you know, and, and um, we should be listening to generally <laughs> speaking or whether it's whoever it is, whoever it is expressing their um, uh, opinions on this. But, uh, and call me a cynic, you know, and I, like I was asked, for example, earlier in the year to write a piece um um, around the 26th of January and, um, you know, I thought about it and, um, and eventually I didn't. I just didn't because I just thought, you know, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how many of my um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander friends I talk to um, and it doesn't matter the, the level of due diligence um, and um, care and time, research. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. The The... On, on on both sides or, or however many actually nuanced, you know, multi-directional angles um, are put forth in this quote-unquote debate um, as we move towards a referendum, I would love to know what percentage of these opinion pieces, of these, um, you know, whatever you want to call them, are actually being presented by white Australians on behalf of, a lot of the time, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, regardless of what side they're pre presenting. I just want to know. Two things I would say to that. I think that um, on the no side, you know, that's why they keep wheeling out Warren Mundine and Jacinta Price um, because they're the only um, 
Aboriginal people of any profile um, that are, you know, prepared to prosecute the, the no case. That's fine. That's fine. But when it comes to people like, you know, like, you know, you know, I, I remember at the end of the last year sort of, you know, I was on I was on Q&A and it sort of like it just it doesn't matter if you're whatever sort of side you're presenting. And, and, it, and I, I think I was sort of. I, Oh, the point I was making was not to tr- to make any kind of point any any which way or other, um, and that is like that that the, the most important thing is to listen to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders on this particular issue, and that sort of still seems to be missed, you know, by who who under whose authority is is Malcolm Turnbull saying what saying 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 that you know the only one thing i will quickly say before i hand to dave is that in this particular instance as opposed to australia day um we do have to persuade like the majority of the of white australians to support this the more you listen the more you realize you need to listen and you need to just keep listening i mean as a white person that's you know weighed in on this now i guess you know about a month before this i sort of i caught up with a mate who is an Indigenous person, we drank, and, you know, a reporter, I won't say who, and had beers. And I talked about it. And I asked him this, these questions because I was, you know, racked with, you know, do I jump in? And his, his take was very much fucking oaf you do because we actually need help, you know, need allyship. You need people pointing out the disingenuous nature. And the fact is that, yes, it's, yes, you're a white person with quite a large platform. That's a responsibility. Use it properly. Like, don't shirk the responsibility. Help was kind of the sentiment that I got. But what are we doing? So I, I guess what are we doing to what are we doing to actually create space for these indigenous voices or for these Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander voices to come in and lead the way, rather than saying, rather than being, oh, well, I'm I'm a white person and I need to talk to you as a white person because it's only white people that will be listened to. That's the paternalism that I, I, I am seeing. So it's like, what about, you know, like, like I'm seeing, for example, and it's it's brilliant to see people like Nessa Turnbull Roberts who's coming forward and, he, and she, who's actually saying things like, these things aren't past, these are present. You know, she's she's a survivor of a, of the, the like the recent stolen generation um, sort of model, and she's she is coming forward and and being a leader. So rather than saying, oh, you know, I've got to I've got to talk to you because I'm I'm a white person, I, and so like you know, like you can only take it from me because you don't. It's almost sort of saying like, but it's, well, it's, it's not only, only, you only it's, if you no, I, I understand if you vacate that. the space. It's only bad actors speaking to white Australia. Well, it, I think that the is, is a dangerous that, a pre- that is a dangerous thing. But they're also saying it can't only be left to us um, because actually, as we've just seen with Stan Grant, like the emotional kind of pressure and the weight of always having to be the people, like a lot of, you know, Aboriginal journalists in particular have been saying, you know, as this debate is happening, they're all these big institutions are turning to us and expecting us to be the ones that always step forward and explain, you know, like Tony Armstrong is a sports presenter and yet has had to take on so much of the emotional heft um, and doing that labour of explaining again and again to white Australia why it is that these issues are important or um, why it is that Aboriginal people are feeling particularly vulnerable through this debate and so on. So I'd, I'd absolutely take your point, Grace, and I think that the space needs to be made 
And I think we have got all these fantastically eloquent, um, erudite Aboriginal voices coming forward in this debate. But as Dave says, I think we do still need to be the loud allies um, that oh, are yes. going to be necessary and, and to get this referendum co- um, carried. It, it, needs to, it needs to be both. I guess it's sort of like it's such a, such a, it's a fine line to walk because it isn't that we're not supporting. It's like it's that's the so there's the difference between, I guess, the the, the advocacy, the solidarity, the the being that. Um, uh, it's the walking alongside as opposed to walking above and ha- holding power over. It's that the power together, and that's a really that's a really hard line to walk because you sort of you'll find that with these disingenuous um, no no campaigners or, or whatever the angle is, the campaign the campaigners that are out to get you will always find a way to detract. They'll always find a way to reduce and. Um, that sort of just like learning that, learning that this this sort of networked abuse, which is really um, uh, exacerbated in this time of the 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 you know not just the internet. I mean, the internet's been around for a long time now, but 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 with certain tools um, that 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 allow that what the internet already gives us to be um, worsened. Um, you know, the, you've got to sort of you, you know it's really important to keep that in mind because we can very easily forget I think especially because um you know it's I think it's human nature to to fall uh prey to and and this is not about victimhood this sort of like we take on board um criticism because we want to improve we want to find ways to um you know better our causes and things like that so it's really easy to um you know get sucked into sort of the traps that that are sort of set um, but so, you know, to, to, to know that, that, that there is that out there, um, you know, that that's, uh, yeah, it's, it is tough stuff. Cause like, I, I see it as well, like in, in what, what I do, um, that, that it's all, it's that damned if you do damned, if you don't sort of principle, um, and it's, mm, mm. it's well, I think in this instance, tough. I think what we have to remember is what the actual LaRue statement from the heart said which was at its heart, it was an invitation. And, you know, Hmm. the statement ends by saying we invite you to walk with us in a movement of Australian people for a better future. And I think that's where we all have to take up that invitation with enthusiasm and energy and kind of get out there and and do what we can because, as we know and have discussed, it's a a big job. I I think people that, you know, want a... more inclusive, more truthful Australia should feel emboldened to say that and to, and to support. And I understand there is a little bit of a – it's kind of – do you know what? It, it, I, get, I get the whole stay in your lane thing and I, get, I do get that. It's, it's sort of a little bit about how I felt reporting on some of the, the sexual harassment and the sexual assault stuff in Parliament House. I was a little bit like, I'm a dirt white dude. I really don't think I should say anything right now. That's like going through the back of my brain a lot of the time. And I'm sure there are people that maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable about, you know, talking about the voice because they're white people. And I do think key to that is just all the stuff Grace has been touching on about listening and respect, but like really listening. At the, at the same time, like the reality of this, this is a nationwide referenda and it's, I mean, it's it's a conceptual nightmare that the numbers game is that white Australia gets to decide this, but that is that is the fact of the matter, and they white Australia needs to be spoken to, 
and obviously by Indigenous voices, but, you know, there's this horrible thing about about the way racism and culture works is that is that white Australia will instinctively be listening to white Australia. And if it's only racist, disingenuous voices in this space, then, you know, we're going to need a lot of luck. And it is yeah. that and thing I- where, you know, with the same-sex plebiscite, um, which obviously was a different standard anyway, although would have, in fact, passed had it been a referendum, um, most white Australians um, or will know a gay person. They may be related to one, they may be in their friendship group, you know, there is something about that that ch- touches them quite directly. Whereas not all Australians, um, not all white Australians will know personally uh, Indigenous people and that I think is allows there to be more distance created and to the debates to become more abstract and more cerebral and actually less personal and intimate and emotional and foundational. And I think that's that's the, the challenge, um, but hopefully a challenge that our country is finally up for because, you know, we are one of the few, if not the only, I think, Western country, colonial country that does not and has not recognised um, the colonial truth. The, of, it, is, it is the only. Yeah, in our constitution and has not kind of made peace and negotiated a treaty with um, with Indigenous peoples. And so to have brought forward the discussion um had the debate and then decided to reject doing so would be a real stain. And, you know, as Noel Pearson said, it would set back the cause of reconciliation decades, generations. It would. It'd be crushing. I think people realise this. But I would hope not going to happen. It's hard and it's what I say when I am talking about the the issue that, uh, you know, that the that sort of defines the space that I work in and that is that, you know, we have to, as much as we possibly can, um, refrain from looking at things through the lens of ideology, whatever that ideology is, whether it's, you know, uh, some kind of political ideology um, or, you know, uh, a religious ideology, um, you know, it's, it's about looking at things through a human lens literally just looking at each other um, as if we're human beings. And mm. it's really, especially when the, the the media, you know, the mainstream media has so many agendas and and the, the media is built on, has been built on for a very long time, a very adversarial lens. That And that's sort of what I guess frustrates me about what Malcolm Turnbull says, you know, that it is regardless of you know, like even take the vitriol side of things away, it, like the, the fact that it's divided into yes and no is in of itself disingenuous. Of course, it's going to be much more nuanced than that. Like things, things are, things are inherently human. We are human beings, you know. And this is a, this is actually quite a, this is a spiritual issue. I mean, again, I can't speak on behalf of any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders, but we're spiritual people, and we're trying to make this, we're trying to fit it into a political system and you know so to look to look at each other just you know and if you you want a lesson on humanity i mean let's get it from a child like you know get it from a get it from an uncorrupted Mm. so just try try to take those if we have to you know take that away all of these different sort of 
And it's because like the kaleidoscope just keeps shifting and shifting and shifting. And there's all these different agendas and every outlet, no matter sort of how independent they they are. I mean, you've got to ask yourself like what's their aim and it is to, it's to sell a paper. Um, it's to have a point of difference as well. Um, and sometimes, you know, like the further along we get in these debates and you see all these different sort of things being put across, often it's because, oh, well, that, ha- that point hasn't been made before. Um, and it's not actually serving any other purpose other than to contribute a, a different point of view. And it's not actually therefore serving the, um, the, the, the people at mm. all. And so we have to get it back to the people. Um, we do. And as I say, I think that now that the um, referendum enabling legislation has been passed, I think the Yes campaign is very much hoping that it does now kind of leave the febrile environment of Canberra and go back to community mm-hmm. um, because it is going to be a long time. It's going to feel like a very long time between now and October 14. So Godspeed to everyone out there um, campaigning. And on that note... I think um, we will thank you for your attention um, for the last half an hour or so. Um, do look out for this week's. Can I, oh, Joe, can Dave I mention one thing? Dave is going to jump in as I was segueing neatly into my wind up. It disruptive. was so neat, and I love that I messed that up for you. <laughs> I'm just. I just wanted to mention, last year I did like a charity push-up thing and I'm doing it again this year. Oh, my it's God. Like, uh, so check my Twitter, please, and like donate. It will give money to Lifeline, which is a very good What, place. like literally so, you're doing lots of push-ups? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to do 210 push-ups today. I did 160 yesterday. In it's, one day? It's all regulated. Yeah, you have to do like more than 3,000 across oh the month. Oh, my God. So, so I will be in lots of pain. Yeah. If that amuses, if that amuses you, that. send some money to, yeah, thank you. Okay. Uh, the details will be on my Twitter, thanks. Well, we can hear about how kind of sore Dave's muscles are um, next week. Look forward to that. Let, look, hear, look forward to hearing of the push-up count. Look, hearing, look forward to hearing about Charles's pilot. Look forward to um, coming back Next week. And shout out to Lifeline. Uh, I've made a few calls to Lifeline this year. They're very handy when you're travelling and you don't have a therapist. Yeah. So they need all the money that they can get from Dave's push-ups and beyond. See ya.